pray for us? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning and for this opportunity to be together. And I pray, Father, that you would lead, guide, and direct us in our time this morning.
Father, that we can look towards you, Lord Jesus. That, God, you are our hope for those who are in Christ. And Father, we thank you for this morning that we're able to gather and just be together, Father, and be encouraged by your word. We pray, Holy Spirit, that we would be attentive to your leading, to your correction. Father, we pray, O oh God, that our hearts would be of good soil today to receive your word. That the word will not be choked out of us, Lord, or snatched out of us, Lord. But God, it will take deep root within us, God. That our lives would bear fruit of salvation in Christ. God, that we would be your people and that you would be our God. And that we would have a desire, Father, for more of you. A hunger and a thirst for righteousness. God, that you called us to live upright lives in a crooked and perverse world. You've called us to be the light and the darkness. But Father, we cannot do it in and of our own strength. It's only by a life dependent fully upon you, Lord Jesus. Empowered by your Holy Spirit to do your will. That our hearts cry be not our will be done, but your will be done. So, Father, we thank you that you bless the reading of your word in our time today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Psalm 34, verse 14. Hopefully we know it by now. Turn away from evil and do good. Turn away from evil and do good. This is the encouragement. Each and every time we get together, throughout this year, to remind us. And then it goes a step further. It says to search for peace and work to maintain it. And I want to encourage you all. How is that going for you throughout your week? To turn from evil and to do good. To work for peace and to work 
to search for peace and to work hard to maintain it. That peace, you all. Nothing missing, nothing broken. When you got up this morning and you faced life and the challenges and the circumstances that maybe you dealt with throughout this week, or maybe you even dealt with this morning, when you looked at yourself, did you give thought that you are a whole person in Christ? If you're sitting here and you are a Christian, you are in Christ. You're no longer that broken individual that you made yourself by your choices. You see, when we come to Christ, He sets us free. And the greatest freedom that He sets us free from is ourselves. This rebellious nature, this sinful nature in which we are born in. This nature that we are in complete rebellion towards Him. And yet the Bible says He first loved us. He loves us, yet though we are in complete rebellion towards Him. My God. Purposed you, knows you, formed you, fashioned you. Has plans for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope in the future. But did you wake up this morning with hope? Not hope in your circumstances. Not even hope that your circumstances will change. But hope in Christ. The author and the giver of life. Like the peace that he gives us. Jesus himself says, peace I give you. Peace I give you. I leave with you, not the peace that the world can offer, but this peace, this wholeness that can only be found in a relationship with Jesus. It's so important, you all. And here we see even in the book of Psalms, this statement that says, search for peace and work hard to maintain it. To turn from evil and to do good. Those are the first steps to searching for peace. And in and of ourselves, we can't. That's why we must depend upon the Holy Spirit. We must depend upon the Holy Spirit. And I challenged you all last week. And I don't know if you really grasped the challenge, so I'm going to challenge you again. As you go throughout this week, as you go throughout this day... Remember, God is good. And base all your decisions off that truth. And that can only be your truth if you're a true Christian. Not a religious person. Not just a person who shows up for church. It doesn't make you a, a, a Christian. That doesn't mean you're saved. There's a lot of unsaved people coming to church. A true Christian is one who has life producing fruit within them. They're not perfect, but there is a change that's taking place within their nature. Because you're born again of a new nature. You're living differently now. You're learning how to walk differently, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Your old man is dead. The old nature, that nature that craves the things of this world, the attitudes of this world. No, the new nature craves the things of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom that you can't even see. You don't live for just the temporalness of this life, but you're living for Jesus. 
And so, when we think upon these things, how are we doing? Knowing that God is good. Like, is that your truth? If you're claiming yourself to be a Christian, is that your truth? Like, before I put my hand towards this, God is good. Should I touch it? Before I speak these words, God is good, should I say them? Before I think these thoughts, God is good, should I keep thinking about those thoughts? Before I give in to this temptation, God is good, why even go that way? My God, you have called me out. You know the condition in and of myself. And yet you love me. And you've called me out and you've made provision through your son Jesus, who came and willingly laid his life down for you. See, this just isn't a a, a little story, a bedtime story. These are actual events that have taken place. And it's so easy in our day and age to get caught up in the world and make a relationship with Jesus almost nothing. And that's not how it should be. Because remember, God's plan and purpose from the beginning is to have a people that he will call his own and in return they will call him their God. And they will live for him because the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your body, with all of your strength. To love him, you all. Because he first loved us. And that's the longing of every person that has ever been born is just to belong and to be loved. Rather you want to admit it or not, that's what your desire is. You just want to belong. You just want to be loved. And you'll never find that sense of belonging or love in the things of this world or in the relationships of this world. The only belonging of wholeness and love and acceptance is found in Jesus. God is love. And yet we're so captivated by the twisted love that the world is portraying. And we ought not to get captivated by that. Because when you're captivated by Jesus, you long for Jesus. More of you, less of me. Listen, we all have desires that we ought not to have. And we shouldn't beat ourselves up over it. And we shouldn't hide them. We shouldn't keep the sin and the filth in our lives hidden. No, you can come to Christ. You can come to other Christians. You can expose the darkness that's within. Because that's what he longs to bring you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He will never put his hand uh, towards you to to keep you at bay. No, his arms are open for you to come. The devil would like to keep you in the dark. The devil would like you to think, oh, if I tell someone that this is what I'm feeling, they're not going to love me. They're going to reject me. And see the lie from the enemy? He wants you to believe. And yet Jesus is calling you to come. 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 Come, just the way you are. And in coming, He will transform you. And that's the hope that we have. To turn from evil and to do good. To search for peace and work hard to maintain it. It is so important. 
especially in this day and age, with the gospel is being watered down. When people are calling themselves Christians and they're not Christians and people are confused about the Christian life. The enemy is working overtime to drag people to hell with him. And we as the church, we as Christians, if you're calling yourself as a Christian, then live as a Christian. Live as a Christian. Because we, as we open up the Word of God today, and we're back in our study walking through the Bible, we're going to go to Exodus chapter 15, we're going to start at verse 19. But as we're opening up the Word today, and we're walking through the Bible, we are seeing God's people yet again being challenged. And their identity of who they are. See, even from the beginning of time, when God purposed to set a people apart to bring the Messiah through, remember Adam and Eve, they had this perfect relationship with God. And yet the enemy came in and he lied to them. He manipulated them. He made them bite into what they shouldn't have bitten into. And their relationship with God was fractured. It wasn't God's fault. It was their fault. See, God gets blamed for a lot of stuff. And we ought to not blame God. (laughs) The reality is it's us. The reality is us. We want to be like God. We want to be God. (laughs) We're so selfish and self-absorbed. We'll do whatever it takes to do what we want. To move on our feelings, to move on our emotions, to move on our desires. And in that, nothing good can come from it. Because as we know and as we've seen, the only thing that can come from the flesh is death. Nothing good is in the flesh. Nothing good. These people of God just witnessed an amazing Miracle. The sea was parted before them. They walk through. God is leading them. God himself is leading his people that he called as his own. And yet, when things don't go their way, now all of a sudden, he's not God. And isn't that the same for us? Oh, we get a little, whoo, yes, Jesus. But then as soon as something presses up against us, now all of a sudden, he's not God. Now all of a sudden we've got to rely on ourselves or rely on others to get us through. And God all along, all along is going, why are you going that way? I want you to come this way. You're my people. And we're seeing them. Instead of turning from evil and doing good, they go right back to the old ways. And that's why I've always encouraged you. Don't you dare be, you know, like, oh, why am I back here? Because in and of yourself, you're like a dog that returns to his vomit. You're like the pig that goes back to the mud. It's all you know. But you cannot remain there. Because as a Christian, you have been born again. You have the right to get up and claim the inheritance that has been given to you through Jesus. Do you know why people who call themselves Christians don't live as Christians? It's because they don't understand they received an inheritance. 
They don't understand the identity in which whom, in whom they are now in Christ. And so all we do is go back. Oh, but people of God, don't keep going back. Get up. Get up and move forward. Get up and stop blaming God. Get up and start believing God. Goes back to what I was saying earlier. Do you believe God is good? Because if you truly believed it, then that would be the mark of your life. That my God, He's good. And it doesn't matter what's happening around me or what's happening within me, God is still God. He is on the throne. And I can rejoice in the fullness of who He is and all that He's done because He's God and He is good. So we look at, again, the people of Israel. And so if you go to Exodus chapter 15, I'm excited to get back into our study and walking through the Bible. And the whole purpose of doing this is my prayer is, is that we will see God for who He is. That He would be great in our eyes. <laughs> that we would know Him. And that we will live for Him. So in Exodus chapter 15, verse 19. When Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and charioteers rushed into the sea, the Lord brought the water crashing down on them. But the people of Israel had walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground. Then Miriam, the prophet, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine and led all the women as they played their tambourines and danced. And Miriam sang this song, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. He has hurled both horse and rider into the sea. Here they are, worshiping God. A miracle took place. These people were enslaved. They were slaves. They were in bondage. For years. We're just not talking a short time. We're talking about for years. In bondage. And God himself delivered them. And now they're celebrating. And so we pick up here in verse 22. Then Moses led the people of Israel away from the Red Sea. And they moved out into the desert of Shur. They traveled in the, this desert for three days without finding any water. When they came to the oasis of Myra, the water was too bitter to drink. So they called the place Mara, which means bitter. Then the people complained and turned against Moses. What are we going to drink, they demanded. So Moses cried out to the Lord for help, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood, and Moses threw it into the water, and this made the water good to drink. It was there at Moriah that the Lord set before them the following decree as a standard to test their faithfulness to him. He said, if you will listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, obeying his commands and keeping all of his decrees, 
Then I will not make you suffer any of the diseases I sent on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. And after leaving Marah, the Israelites traveled on to the oasis of Elam, where they found 12 springs and 70 palm trees. They camped there beside the water. Just three days after they were celebrating the awesomeness of God, the goodness of God, they began to complain. They didn't have the water to drink. <coughs> they complained. And yet God set a standard to test their faithfulness. God as he did with them, he does with us. So when life doesn't go your way and you don't get what you want, are you a complainer? Is it easy for you just to get riled up in your flesh and just complain? You ought not to. You ought to remember God is good. And God is for you and he's not against you. And in his perfect timing, he will provide what is needed. And he will provide in ways that doesn't even make sense. But you can know him as provider. And I've challenged you all before. Truly know him. Just don't call him provider, deliverer, because it's a, it's a testimony of what you've heard of him. No, know him for who he is by learning of him yourself. That God, he is our healer. He is our provider. He is our deliverer. He is our hope. And that hope in Christ and Jesus will never disappoint us. Are you disappointed today with the way life is going? Well, don't blame God. Blame yourself. And don't blame others. Blame yourself. Because as you think, so you go. Again, we all can go around the room and tell our poor, sad stories. But the reality is, it's his story. That really ought to be defining you. Day in and day out. Day in and day out. Jesus himself said, in this world you will have trouble. There's no scripture that Jesus says your life is going to be perfect on this earth. He warns you. In this world you will have trouble. He warns us and tells us what the last days are going to look like. The people will become so self-absorbed. Love is going to grow colder and colder. Times are going to get harder and harder. And yet then in the midst of all of this, he says, but my gospel will be preached throughout the earth. And how is that? Because there's going to be people who are going to genuinely love God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind, with all their body, with all their strength. And they're going to testify of his goodness. Even in the midst of their suffering, they will testify of his goodness. So the question for us today is, is that the mark of your life? Are you testifying of his goodness in the midst of your suffering? Or are you just complaining and murmuring and fault-finding and blaming others and living a life that is so ungodly and yet, praise God, bless Jesus, don't be a hypocrite. Be a Christian. Live for God. Honor God. Trust God. Even when times are hard. For goodness sake, these people just saw the sea 
cart before them. God is bringing them through. He's honoring his word that he would deliver them. And just three days later, they're complaining. And they're blaming Moses. <laughs> See, you can't keep your eyes on man, you all. Moses was just the vessel God used to bring about what God purposed. God, don't miss that scripture, set a standard for his people to test their faithfulness. Not to test his faithfulness. God is good. Again, God gets a bad rap. We all blame God. God cannot be faulted for what man does. God is good. He's already established who he is. Even before the earth was formed, God is good. God is love. God made provision through his son Jesus to reconcile mankind back to himself. That is the good news, you all. And so then we see here, now they're camping. They've got water. They've got shade. Chapter 16. We're going to read through chapter 16 now. Then the whole community of Israel set out for Elam. And journeyed into the wilderness of Sin, between Elam and Mount Sinai. They arrived there on the 15th day of the second month, one month after leaving the land of Egypt. So it's been a month now that they've been freed. There too, the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. Hmm. Listen to this. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. But now you have brought us into the wilderness to starve us all to death. Wow. Isn't it funny? Now it's a month in, and they're still not satisfied in the God who delivered them. They're only looking at their temporalness of their life we're hungry. And not are they really recognizing in and of themselves the choices that they're making. Now they're blaming Moses and Aaron. And it's so easy to blame pastors. It's so easy to, to blame other Christians. But again, don't blame others. Look at yourself. It's your heart attitude. It's your bitterness. It's your unforgiveness. It's your ungratefulness. Are you grateful today for the little you have? Because if you're not, don't expect an increase. <laughs> don't expect an increase. Don't expect an increase. I had a counsel, a young man this week, who was about to give up an opportunity to be developed as a leader because he failed. And I said, yet the greatest lesson to learn in life is through your failures. You're letting one failure determine your outcome of your destiny. 
when that's what God uses the most in our lives is our failures from our choices and how we've responded to things that have happened to us, even things that are not even our what we did to ourselves, maybe others did to us, but you still are making a choice of how you're responding to it. And so we must be careful. We must have the same attitude as Christ, the Bible says. We are Christians. So I'm speaking to those today who who, have given their lives to Christ. And if you're sitting here today and you haven't, or you've pretended you have, then I would encourage you and implore you to come to Christ and start living afresh and anew. These people were a month in. And now I'm hungry. And it was better back in our bondage when we were enslaved when we were beaten, when we were, in, we were slaves to the Egyptians. At least we had food then. And it's no different than us when we go back to our old ways. It's no difference. But oh people, God, don't go back. Press in. Remember the standard in which God has set. And trust Him. Because God is good. Then the Lord said to Moses, look, I'm going to rain down food from heaven for you. Each day, people can go out and pick up as much food as they need for that day. I will test them in this to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they will gather food and when they prepare it, there will be twice as much as usual. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, By evening you will realize it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. In the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your complaints, which which are against him, not us. We have, I'm sorry, what we have done that you, what have we done that you should complain against about us? Then Moses added, The Lord will give you meat to eat in the evening and bread to satisfy you in the morning, for he has heard your complaint against him. What have we done? Yes, your complaints are against the Lord, not against us. Then Moses said to Aaron, Announce this to the entire community of Israel. Present yourself before the Lord, for he has heard your complaining. And as Aaron spoke to the whole community of Israel, they looked out toward the wilderness. There they could see the awesome glory of the Lord in the cloud. Then the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the Israelites' complaints. Now tell them, in the evening you will have meat to eat, and in the morning you will have all the bread you want. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening, vast numbers of quail flew in and covered the camp. And the next morning, the area around the camp was wet with dew. When the dew evaporated, a flaky substance as fine as frost blanketed the ground. The Israelites were puzzled when they saw it. What is it? They asked each other. They had no idea what it was. And Moses told them, It is the food the Lord has given you to eat. These are the Lord's instructions. Each household should gather as much as it needs, pick up two quarts for each person in your tent. So 
the people of Israel did as they were told. Some gathered a lot, some only a little, but when they measured it out, everyone had just enough. Those who gathered a lot had nothing left over, and those who gathered only a little had enough. Each family had just what it needed. Then Moses told them, Do not keep any of it until the morning. But some of them didn't listen and kept some of it until morning. But by then it was full of maggots and had a terrible smell. Moses was very angry with them. After this, the people gathered food morning by morning, each family according to its need. And as the sun became hot, the flakes that they had not picked up melted and disappeared. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much as usual, four quarts, for each person instead of two. Then all the leaders of the community came and asked Moses for an explanation. He told them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow will be a day of complete rest, a holy Sabbath, a day set apart for the Lord. So bake or boil as much as you want today and set aside what is left for tomorrow. So they put some aside until morning, just as Moses had commanded. And in the morning, the leftover food was wholesome and good without maggots or order. I'm sorry, odor. Moses said, eat this food today, for today is a Sabbath day dedicated to the Lord. There will be no food on the ground today. You may gather the food for six days, but on the seventh day, I'm sorry, but the seventh day is a Sabbath. There will be no food on the ground that day. Some of the people went out anyway on the seventh day, but they found no food. The Lord asked Moses, how long will these people refuse to obey my commands and instructions? They must realize that the Sabbath is the Lord's gift to you. That is why he gives you a two-day supply on the sixth day, so there will be enough for two days. On the Sabbath day, you must each stay in your place. Do not go out and pick up food on the seventh day. So the people did not gather any food on the seventh day. The Israelites called the food manna. It was, the, it was, it was white like cordyron seed. And it tasted like honey wafers. Then Moses said, This is what the Lord had commanded. Fill a two-quart container with manna to preserve it for your descendants. Then, then later generations will be able to see the food I gave you in the wilderness when I set you free from Egypt. So Moses said to Aaron, Get a jar and fill it with two quarts of manna. Then put it in the sacred place before the Lord to preserve it for all future generations. Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded Moses. He eventually placed it in the Ark of the Covenant in front of the stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant. So the people of Israel ate manna for 40 years until they arrived at the land where they would settle. They ate manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. The container used to measure the manna was an omer, which was one-tenth of the ephah. It held about two quarts. God provided you all. God provided. And God is allowing his people to see for truly who he is. And not only that, I love the fact that he also saved some to put it in the Ark of the, Co in the, Ark of the Covenant in order to the future generations to know what he did. And so it challenges us in our generation. How are we preparing the upcoming generation to know God? 
to know God, to know of His goodness and of His grace and of His mercy, of what He's done and who He is, not just throughout the Bible, but throughout your life. Like, see, your children, your grandchildren should see the work of Christ in your life. They should hear of His goodness, of His grace and of His love, and testify daily to Him of the truth of who God is. These people complained. They murmured. And yet God continued to provide. Revealing himself. That's what I'm saying. We, we, there's, we, there's, no, there's, no, there's no charge against God. Because he is faithful even when we're not. Like he is faithful to his word. He is faithful to what he has purposed. And I love this picture of manna. This bread that his people received. They received this bread of life that would sustain them. And it's a beautiful picture of Christ. So I always challenge you as you're reading through the Old Testament. Seek for Jesus throughout the Old Testament. Jesus tells us that he is the bread of life. He will sustain us. What a beautiful picture. God sustaining us and keeping us through His Son Jesus. Providing this wholeness, you all. See, your identity as a Christian is in Christ. So when you're challenged this afternoon or you're challenged this week, Remind yourself, I'm in Christ now. Oh, I don't have to act ugly. I don't have to give in to that, that temptation. I don't have to go my way. No, I'm in Christ and there's a new way to go. So God, show me which way to go. Because God, I want to honor you. You see, if the Christian life cannot be lived, then he's a liar. But the Bible says, that he's given us everything we need to live a godly life. I don't know what excuse you make to act ugly and to continue to go your way. But the reality is, is that he's given us everything we need. And I believe that. Even when I fail, I believe I can get up. That nothing can separate me from his love. Like I can get up. And I can be restored to God and I can be restored to others. And my failure doesn't have to define me. I can get up and I can move on. Because God is good. He is my source. He is my strength. He is my daily bread. And I want to encourage you, is he yours? Because he ought to be. God provided. And God himself how long would these people refuse to obey my commands and instructions? And as it was then, so it is now. How long are we going to continue to refuse to obey his commands and his instructions? God help us. God help us. 
Lead us to repentance, Lord. Lead us to repentance. It's a gift. Like, draw us, Father, to yourself. He doesn't keep us at bay. No, he calls us to himself. So come, come. Take your place and let God bring up forth what he is working in and through your life. And yet again, we're reminded in the scripture too that God is the Lord of the Sabbath. Not man. Man has twisted and perverted the Sabbath. <laughs> and they made it such a, a, a law on the people of God. And yet God is the Lord of the Sabbath. He calls us to rest in him. And oh, that we may find that rest in Christ. In Christ. Not in a day, but in Christ. That we would find that rest and that hope that we have in Christ. I want to read chapter 17. Start in chapter 17, but we're going to end in verse 7. So now they're fed. They've got more meat and bread than they can ima imagine. So at the Lord's command, the whole community of Israel left the wilderness of sin and moved from place to place. Eventually they camped at Raphim, but there was no water there for the people to drink. So once more the people complained against Moses. Give us water to drink, they demanded. Quiet, Moses replied. Why are you complaining against me? And why are you testing the Lord? But tormented by thirst, they continue to argue with Moses. Why did you bring us up out of Egypt? Are you trying to kill us, our children, and our livestock with thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What should I do with these people? They are ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, walk out in front of the people. Take your staff, the one you used when you struck the water of the Nile, and call some of the elders of Israel to join you. I will stand before you on the rock at Mount Sinai. Strike the rock and water will come gushing out. The people will be able to drink. So Moses struck the rock as he was told and water gushed out as the elders looked on. Moses named the place Mathen, which means test, and Meribah, which means arguing, because the people of Israel argued with Moses and tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord here with us or not? Wow. God is continuing to reveal himself, and yet these people are not satisfied. They're so consumed. And I really love what Scripture said here, how they described it. They were tormented. They were tormented. Their lack became their God. And they were tormented. And it's no different than us. What is your God today? You ought to smash it down. And raise up no other God, because there's only one God. Amen. And he will provide. 
he will provide. He already provided water for them. You would have hoped that by now, if they were thirsty, instead of looking unto Moses, they would have looked unto God. God, we're thirsty. We thank you, Father, that you will provide for us water to drink. But that wasn't their response. Because they were tormented. They saw their lack. They saw their physical need. They were thirsty. But God help us. God help us to respond as we should, as the people of God. And I love this picture again. As I sat and I was reading through these scriptures, I said, oh Jesus, you are the living water. And those who drink of Jesus will never thirst again. My Father, no matter what my physical conditions may be, you are God. I think of these Christians who live overseas, who go without days with food or water, and yet they're very joyful, <laughs> and yet they're trusting in God to provide. I think of these Christians whose families are being murdered in front of them because they believe in Jesus, and yet they understand the joy that is found in suffering for Jesus. And then I pray for us, the Western Church, <laughs> because if we don't get what we want, we're soon to act just like the Israelites, complaining, murmuring, fault-finding. I ain't going to church. I ain't, I'm not doing this anymore. God didn't provide for me. And all of a sudden, we have these complaints against God. And what, you think your slavery, your slavery to sin is better than this, to be a slave of righteousness? Like, God help us. God help us. Raise us up, Lord, to be the people of God who know that He is our provider. And in Him, He provides good things. He's not going to neglect us. Oh, but I'm not getting what I wanted. Oh, but I really need this. God knows. Why fret? And yes, I've been in lack. And yes, there have been days where I used to wonder, where would my food come from? <laughs> there would be mornings I would just scrape enough together to get a crystal sunrise sandwich for me and my daughter. <laughs> but God provided. There were days where I would choke for work and I didn't eat for days. And during lunchtime, when the food smelled good, I would have to go outside, and I would say, God, and God would remind me, just feast off my word. I will provide. So I'm not talking about just to say, oh, this is the what you do. No, I've lived it. <laughs> and there's even seasons now in lack that I can question God and be like, oh, God, but then I'm soon reminded, oh, but God, how gracious you are. Help me to be grateful for even the little that I have. Even in the seasons of being challenged with such health issues. Oh God, help me be grateful just the breath that I have. The strength that I'm able to do. Even if it's just a little. God, I just want to be grateful. So I challenge you all. Are you grateful? Do you know your God? 
Because he longs to be in intimate fellowship with you. He longs for you to be his people. To live wholeheartedly for him. And listen, being a Christian is not the easiest thing to do in this world. So don't think it's going to be. Not everyone is going to celebrate that you do what is right. And I was reminded of that this week. I was reminded of all the friends that I ran around with. That I went to the bars with, that I drunk with, that I had sex with, that I did drugs with. They were flabbergasted that I became a Christian. And I no longer did those things. But why don't you drink? Why don't you smoke? Why aren't you having sex? Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? Oh, now you're so holier than thou. Oh, now you think you got it all together. Listen, people are not going to understand. But they are so easy to hold you captive and to death. Because where were those friends? And my drunken stupidness. Telling me, Rob, stop drinking. <laughs> Rob, you're killing yourself. Rob, why are you going home with that person? Like, Rob, why are you giving yourself to, to so many? <laughs> why are you doing those drugs? It's killing you. Look at the man that you're becoming. Look how depressed and suicidal you are. See, if I would have dropped dead in those days, everyone would be like, oh. But who was speaking life? Who was encouraging me? But then Christ shows up, changes my life, and now I begin to live and do what is right, and now all of a sudden everyone has a problem. And so it will be for you and anyone else that chooses to follow the ways of God. Because the ways to God are the road is narrow. Not many people are getting on it. But the road to hell, the road to death is wide, and there's everyone is running that way. So you have a choice and you have a decision to make. Which way are you going? It's your choice. It's because at the end of your life, you're not answering to man. You're answering to God. And he loves you. No matter what you've done or where you've been, he loves you. But his love for you does not keep you where you are. His love for you draws you out of darkness. And it brings you into his marvelous light. So you begin to think differently. You begin to act differently. You begin to live differently. Because your life now is consumed by light. It's consumed by peace. Because you're whole now. See, all the abuse that happened to me when I was a kid does not define me. I can choose for it to define me, but why would I? I know what came from it. I choose every day to get up and say, God, I am in Christ. I am in Christ. I don't have to be that broken, nasty, wicked person anymore. I can choose my language and how I'm going to speak and how I'm going to respond and what I'm giving myself to. I don't have to find my hope and my wholeness in man. Because my hope and my wholeness has been found in Christ. And so the question to us today, are you finding your hope and your wholeness in Christ? And you say, well, I don't know. And then I would say, well, listen to your words. <laughs> Watch your attitude. Because as you think, so you go. And either, 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 either you see yourself as whole in Christ, or you see yourself as this broken person. Oh, look at my life. 
Nobody loves me. Nobody cares for me. No one's providing for me. Oh, you don't know what's happened to me. And we have all of our little sad stories. And that's what's weighing us down and keeping us down. And I'm all alone. Come on, you all. God has so much more for us. Another public person committed suicide this week. And suicide is on, it's escalating. The, the numbers of suicides that are taking place are beyond comprehension. Because people have no hope. God has been removed out of our society. You ought not to think of killing yourself. There's so much more to life. And I know what it's like to wrestle with suicidal thoughts. I know what it's like to, to want to take your life and to attempt to take your life. It's, in fact, it was in the attempt of taking my life when pills were going to my mouth to end my life that Jesus spoke to me and said, today you'll live. And I dropped the pills and I put my hands over my head and was like, oh God, Jesus, you're real. When Norma had a gun in her mouth and was ready to pull the trigger, God spoke and said, don't do it. The reality of desperation because life just sucks and you just want to take your own life. It's not worth it. Because God is the author of life. Don't let what man has done to you, don't let what you think is going on in this world drive you into utter darkness and seclusion. Not when the author of life and light is calling you out. He knows your pain. He knows your suffering. He knows your torment. And he says, just give it to me. And I will heal you. And I will show you what life is about. This is the hope that we have, you all. And this God in whom we are learning of and reading about. Again, these aren't just good bedtime stories. These are actual events. That's why it's so awesome that God sets aside all these different things so that other generations can hear of Him and know Him. So we move on to Matthew chapter 27. I'm sorry, chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. Verse 1 through 33. These are Jesus' words. And I've always encouraged you, if there's ever a portion of the Bible that you should to perk up and listen to, it should be all of it, but if there's going to be any of it, it's Jesus' words. Listen to this. We're reading chapter 22, 1 through 33. Jesus also told them of other parables. He said, The kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to notify those who were invited, but they all refused to come. So he sent other servants to tell them, The feast has been prepared. The bulls and fatted cat cattle have been killed. And everything is ready. Come to the banquet. 
But the guests he had invited ignored them and went on, and went on their own way. One to his farm, another to his business. Others seized his messengers and insulted them and killed them. The king was furious, and he sent out his army to destroy the murderers and burned their town. And he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, and the guests I invited aren't worthy of honor of the honor. Now go out to the street corners and invite everyone you see. So the servants brought in everyone they could find, good and bad alike, and the banquet hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to meet the guests, he noticed a man who wasn't wearing the proper clothes for a wedding. Friend, he asked, how is it that you are here without wedding clothes? But the man had no reply. Then the king said to his aides, bind his hands and his feet and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. If you've been studying with us and you're understanding who Jesus is referring to in this parable, you get it. If you haven't been studying, well then be enlightened to truth. You see, the king is telling those that have been invited to come. The feast is ready. But they're too busy being about their day-to-day lives. In fact, they get irritated because the servants of the king come and tell them, the banquet is ready, come, come, and they murder them. You're irritating us. We don't want to go. We're about our own lives. Oh, does it sound like someone? The religious people. Of our days. The religious people of this time, Jesus was exposing the hearts of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, men who were labeled men of God, overseeing God's people, and yet instead of leading them to God, they were keeping them far away from God, burdening them with all the rules and the laws of trying to be right so that they would have a relationship with God. And all along, the Messiah, the one whom God, and whom they talk about, was standing before them, and they were irritated by him. Just as they were irritated, God's people, back in the days, by the prophets. We don't want to hear how we ought to be living, so they killed the prophets. And they did the same to Jesus. They did not want to hear. They did not want to hear. So the religious people of today, be forewarned. Your religion is worthless. It's worthless. You can know the Bible front and back, but if it's not producing life in you, you don't know God. You can hold a form of religion and look right in front of everyone else's eyes, but you are tormented. And you have secret lives of sin. And God is not pleased. And I love this beautiful picture. 
quote, quote, God's people are not responding to the invitation. But God calls the people that are on the outside to come. And that should be where all of us say, Amen. (laughs) Because we're all from the outside. We're on the other side of the tracks. (laughs) Broken down. Infested with sin. Whatever it is. I was on the other side of the tracks. (laughs) I was the drug addict. I was the drunkard. I was the pervert. I was so far from God, I didn't care for God, I didn't need your Jesus, I, didn't even, I would do anything and everything possible to mock you and your faith and your God, and yet God says, you're mine, Rob. <laughs> what? Like I told you, when I was going to take my life, the pills to my mouth, God spoke, today you'll live. My hands go over my head, and the first words out of my mouth is, Oh, Jesus, you're real. <laughs> and why me, God? I used to question that in my first formative years as a Christian. But God, I hated you so much. Why me? And he would remind me, because I love you. I see, God knows us, you all. He's created you. He's formed you. He knows his plans for you. He's longing for you to love him. He's inviting you to come. In fact, if you're sitting here today, you hear the invitation yet again. Like these people in this parable, they heard the invitation more than once. So how are you responding? Either you're coming or you're acting like these other people who refuse to go, who gets irritated, by preachers and Christians who keep encouraging them to live for God. Like we must wake up, you all, to the realities of truth. And the reality of truth is there are going to be those who will be ushered into the kingdom of heaven, not because of anything they did, but all because of what Jesus accomplished. They just accepted this free gift. And there's going to be those who are going to be thrown into hell and be tormented for eternity. And oh, before you blame God, as I said earlier, there is no fault that can be found in God. Because God has made a way for no one to end up in hell. The the reason why people end up in hell is because that's where they choose to go. Because they refuse to accept Jesus in this life. Oh, go have your parties. Act like a fool. Run them up. Ha, 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 ha. But you never know when your breath is going to be taken. And the fun is over. <laughs> oh, the temporalness felt good for a moment. You got your groove on. You got your shuck and your jive on. You got the sex, you got the drugs, you got all this chaos that is brewing, that's defining you, and yet God all along is going, stop going that way. Come this way. Come this way. Because how many of you have heard the invitation over and over and over and over, and yet yet you keep finding yourself in darkness? Don't blame God. It's your choice. Because you can get up today and say, God, here's my life. I need you, Jesus. 
And you can be born again of a new nature. Not perfect, but born again to start living differently. Say, yeah, God, I accept your invitation to come. He brought in the people from the outside. Fill the place. That's beautiful. And it's another reality to the Jews of that day. The people of God who should be running towards the invitation. God all along is bringing all nations to himself. Jew and Gentile. Jew and Gentile. He's bringing everyone to himself. Those who will respond. Oh, but don't think you're going to kind of skate in and get in. Because that one man did. The king came in and was like, friend, why aren't you dressed for this occasion? And he looked at his aides and he said, bound him and throw him into utter darkness. God's not playing you all. I know we like to make him this fluffy God. But the reality is you've got to know him for the fullness of who he is. He's a God of love and he's a God of wrath. Whenever you see his wrath, you'll see his love. Whenever you see his love, you'll see his wrath. He is faithful. He is holy. He's God. The creator of heaven and earth. He speaks and items are formed. He sent his one and only son to die for us. And he tells us how we are to live. Because there's work to be done. We're to advance his kingdom. We're to be excited about the things of God. We're to put our hand to the plow and not look back. Because we know our redemption is drawing nearer, nearer. Like his return is evident. We don't know the day or the hour, but we know he's returning. And he's going to gather up those who have responded to his invitation. Come, come. Oh, but God, I'm unworthy. God, I'm unclean. Oh, yeah, 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 that is true. But come, because I am worthy. (laughs) I'm of light. See, we've got to stop making our excuses. Secret sin. God, get it exposed. Don't care what man's going to think about you. Listen, when I first came to church years ago, I was told by churches they didn't want me there because of my old life and who I was and what I did. And that herd was, what? You're supposed to be the church. I wasn't actively in sin. I was just looking to connect to grow. It's different if I'm actively in sin because then the church has a right to say, listen, you need to step out. Because if you're not willing to accept the fullness of what Christ has and be discipled and to be to grow up, uh, don't call yourself a Christian. (laughs) See, unsaved people can come because they're unsaved. They ought to hear the good news. But how confusing it is for an unsaved person to step into a church and to look at people who call themselves Christian and they're no different than them. Then what hope do I have? I'm just surrounded by a bunch of hypocrites that in reality... Lead me further and further down that wide path of destruction. 
You see, years ago, when Norma wanted to remain in her sin and yet be like, oh, Jesus, the hardest thing for me to do was to look at Norma and say, Norma, if that's the way you want to live, then go live that way because I love you enough to let you know you can't keep bringing that in here. So you have to go. It was the hardest thing to do. But it was needed to be done. Because two years, how long was it? Three years later, she shows back up. She's at a place to really surrender to God. Not to man, but to God. Even Paul says to the church, you have wickedness among you. Take that guy and turn him over to Satan in hopes that his soul will be saved. And the Bible gives us clear understanding of how the church has to deal with sin. And yet in our generation, the church is confused. What do we do when people who are claiming to be Christians and yet continue to be living in sin? Well, the church has now started to embracing everybody. And you can't tell who's saved and who's not. And how confusing is that? Oh, the devil is working overtime, you all. And listen, Christians aren't perfect. And we ought not to be condemning and looking down on people who are lost. Oh, but call yourself a Christian and act a fool, and you ought to be holding, someone ought to be holding you accountable. Going, whoa, wait a minute. You see, God has set a standard. Not man. God has had a set a standard. And there's work to be done. That's why it's in the church where you're finding accountability, growth, encouragement to continue to stay on the narrow path. Because there's work to be done. There's work to be done. The Bible says keep working while it's still light. <laughs> keep working for his kingdom. Then the Pharisees met together these religious men. Now they're irritated by his little parable. So now they meet together to plot how to trap Jesus and to say something for which he could be arrested. <clears throat> they sent some of their disciples along with their supporters to Herod, of Herod to meet with him. Teacher, they said, we know how honest you are. You teach the way of God truthfully. You are impartial and don't play favorites. Now tell us what you think about this. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? These men kept stepping up, trying to make a fool of Jesus. That's why I love Jesus, you all, because he turns it right back around on them. But Jesus knew their evil motives. You hypocrites! And he's talking to the religious men of the day, you all, men that the religious people looked up to. And I can only imagine what their followers must have thought to look at these religious men being called hypocrites. You hypocrites, he said. Why are you trying to trap me? Here, show me the coin used for tax. When they handed him a Roman coin, he asked, whose picture and title are stamped on it? Caesar, they replied. Well then, he said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. His reply amazed them, and they went away. 
That same day, Jesus was approached by some Sadducees, this other religious group of people. The religious leaders who say there's no resurrection from the dead. So they pose this question. Teacher, Moses said if a man dies without children, he should marry the widow and have a child who will carry on the brother's name. Well, suppose there were seven brothers. The oldest one married and then died without children, so his brother married the widow. But the second brother also died, and the third brother married her. This continued with all seven of them. Last of all, the woman also died. So tell us, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? For all seven were married to her. Jesus replied, oh, your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures. Listen, that was a big insult. Again, these are the religious men of the day. And that's what religious people do. They want to try to trip you up and argue with you over scripture that they don't even apply to their life. Have you had that done to you before? People who think they're Christians, they want to argue scripture and twist scriptures, and they don't even follow scripture. And this is what these men were doing. And Jesus calls them out. Your mistake is is that you don't know the scriptures. And you don't know the power of God. For when the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. In this respect, they will be like the angels in heaven. But now, as to whether there will be resurrection of the dead, haven't you ever read about this in the scripture? Long after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had died, God said, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So he is the God of the living, not the dead. When the crowds heard him, they were astounded at his teachings. Listen, the religious men didn't respond, but the crowds, the people on the outside, they are drawn to Jesus. They're drawn to Jesus. Oh, that we would be drawn to Jesus. And we would see him for the fullness of who he is. The power of salvation to transform us from darkness to light, from being so absorbed with self to being absorbed with Christ. Like my life, God, for the gospel. Go to Psalm 27, verse 1 through 6, and we're closing. After the psalm, we're going to go to Proverbs and read six verses, and then we're done. So Psalm 27. Verse 1 through 6. We're walking through the Bible, y'all. Psalm 27, 1 through 6. The Lord is my light and my salvation. So who should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger. So why should I tremble? When evil people come to devour me, When my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fail. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I am attacked, I will remain confident. The one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in His temple. For He will conceal me There, when trouble comes, he will hide me in his sanctuary. He will place me out of reach 
on a high rock. Then I will hold my head high above my enemies who surround me. At his sanctuary, I will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy, singing and praising the Lord with music. Man, I love the book of Psalms. Listen, if you're going through issues in life, go to the book of Psalms. Look how these psalmists responded. They loved the Lord. And yet life was beating them up. And they were really honest and sincere in these psalms that they wrote. Like I'm surrounded by my enemies. And yet though they may attack me, my confidence is found in God and God alone. Oh, that there would be a people on this earth today that would have the same heart and the same mindset. That God, all I desire is to be in your presence. To live all the days of my life in your presence. Because there's nothing of this earth that fulfills or satisfies me. Listen, whatever may be fulfilling you or satisfying you is only but a moment. And so many of us, we place our identity and for the things and the relationships that are only a moment. Because that person you're putting yourself into can drop dead. (laughs) And then where are you? The material things, the, the things that are driving you, the motives of selfishness, the things that you're trying to cling to, a flood can come and all of it can be gone in an instant. And then what? Oh, people, we need to wake up. We as the psalmist need to cry out unto God. That God, no matter our circumstances, you're God. And our desire, God, is to be in your presence. Because it's in your presence that we know that you are good. And that you are for us and not against us. That God, you will provide. That God, that you would deliver. That God, you would heal. But in the midst of it all, God, teach me to turn from evil and to do good, to seek for peace and to work hard to maintain it. That peace, nothing missing, nothing broken. You're either seeing yourself as a broken person or you're seeing yourself as one who is made whole, not because of what you've done, but because all that Christ has done. Go to Proverbs chapter 6. You need wisdom? (laughs) Read Proverbs. Oh, how this generation needs to read Proverbs, especially with how crazy perversion is running them up. People giving themselves sexually to anything and anyone, just turning themselves over, hoping to find some source of of comfort and wholeness. And the reality is, it's only brokenness. And the way pornography is running them up, Listen, I used to be enslaved to pornography. Oh, days I would lock myself in a room and just watch porn. Days I would lock myself in a room and just be on the phone back in the days, the 900 numbers. So consumed with perversion. Sleeping with anyone and everyone. And yet, nothing good was coming from it. Oh, it may feel good for the moment. But in reality, it's death. And destruction. See, God has designed sex. He's the author of sex, and sex is good. In the confines of what God designed it for. 
Listen, I've had so much sex since a young age, but I didn't know sex until I had it with my wife. When I came to Christ and I said I wanted to be pure, because all I did from the age of, well, even when I was molested as a young kid, from the age six on, that's all I did. I had every type of sex you could possibly imagine. Oh, and it all felt good, but it was not good. Because it was leading me further and further and further into darkness. Oh, so get your feel. Ha ha ha. But in the end, what did you what did you what did you get? But when I came to Christ, I said, God, I want to be pure. I don't want to be driven by these thoughts. I don't want to have to give, satisfy myself or, or just give myself to everyone and anyone. I kind of want to be pure. What does it mean to be pure? So God took me along this path of purity. In fact, when Gilda and I started courting, I told Gilda, I don't, I, I don't even want to kiss you. <laughs> like I want, to, I want to reserve myself for the night of our wedding. Our first kiss wasn't until the, the preacher said, you're now man and wife. Wow. And when we finally lay down as husband and wife, I've never experienced a sexual encounter blessed by God like I did then and still do. See, God created sex and sex is good. But the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So go your way if you want. But you're missing out on the fullness of what God has. Just because man says, do whatever, who whatever, do whatever. I mean, for goodness sakes, we have people demanding that they have sex with their goats. We have run perversion running amok in our, on the earth, and everyone's just laughing and applauding. Ah! Come on. Wake up. Wake up. And if you're bound by perversion, if you have hidden sin of looking at porn and you need help, then come talk to me. I'm not going to judge you. But I'm going to encourage you. If you're spreading your legs and giving yourself to whoever and anyone, stop it. Because you're just longing for acceptance. And the only one that can heal you is calling you out from that. You don't have to lay down with everyone and anyone just to feel love. God has so much for us, you all. Listen, years ago, I would hearing me, I would think I was this person's crazy. But people who knew me then and see me now, they go, What has happened to you? It's not me. I wouldn't have chosen this. I would have kept chosen the sex and the running amok and doing whatever. See, only God can transform you. Only God can give you a new desire and a new way to go. Only God can take all the brokenness and all the filth of life and say, I've washed you clean with my blood. Such great love, you all. So the book of Proverbs is a book that ought to be studied in all day and age. Not only does it deal with perversion, but it deals with rebellion. <laughs> it deals with the core teachings that need to be taught to the youth today. 
because the, the, the family dynamics is so stripped and it's just getting worse. But God designed the family unit to bring up the new generation. And if you don't think the enemy's working overtime, look what's happening to families. The family structure and marriage, the way God has purposed it, is not even celebrated anymore. It's mocked. It's laughed at. Oh, but may we hear the word of the Lord. Chapter 6 of Proverbs, verse 20 through 26. My son, obey your father's commands and don't neglect your mother's instructions. Let's just stop there for a moment. Obey your father's commands and don't neglect your mother's instructions. And unfortunately, the majority of the youth today, they don't even have respect for their parents. They don't even have respect. And how sad. How sad. But oh God, help our youth today to know that they're loved by a heavenly father. Because maybe their family dynamics is so out of control that their fathers are not even attentive to their sons or their daughters. And maybe their mothers are so consumed of themselves that they neglect even to teach their children. And we talked about homes last Sunday. <laughs> All the drama and the chaos that goes on in them. And then, then, then as parents, we demand our children to act right as if we live, live in a house of order. <laughs> Oh, you foolish parents. You're trying to discipline when you and yourself have no discipline in your life or in your home. And yet you expect them to act differently. Oh, no, no, no. What you've created, you get. And if God is not honored, don't, don't you even think that your kids are going to honor you. But here in this book of Proverbs, they're being instructed. And so I pray daily, God, raise up men and women to be father figures and mother figures and the lives of our youth that are from such brokenness in hopes that they would be restored, in hopes that there would be a father figure and a mother figure who can reach them and discipline them and teach them the ways of life. Then he goes on in verse 21. Keep the words always in your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, their counsel will lead you. When you sleep, they will protect you. When you wake up, they will advise you. Do you see how important words are? And the teaching the kids and instructing the kids. And yet parents aren't doing it. And the kids are shattered and lost. They lie awake at night just hoping to find some sense of security. What The words that they're tying to their heart is usually words that have put them down. Words that have shattered their innocence. God, when I hear a parent call their kids stupid, when I hear a parent tear their children down, I go, oh God! Shut their mouths. Because <laughs> you're destroying their youth. 
when I hear parents just rattle words off of just filth and anger and chaos, I say, oh God, have mercy. What are we doing? But this is the way we go to church. Go to church. Everyone, come on, I'm going to church. What? And then you go home and your home is just a place of filth and darkness? God, help us. They should be tying, they should be taking the words. You parents sitting here, they should be taking your words and tying them around their heart because look what it does for them. It protects them. It forms them in who they are. And I've said it before, acting crazy should not be the norm for this youth. Like I'm meeting youth who have, who have a love and a zeal for God. And in my mind, I'm like, God, oh, that's so odd. And then the Lord corrected me. Why is that odd? That's how it should be. Like when I work with these youth and I look at them and they love God and they're pursuing God and they have dreams and they have visions and God is using them mightily and they're not perverted. They're not enslaved to, 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 to all the junk that is out there. I go, wow. What are we doing? Some of the youth ministries, you look at them and it's nothing but a perverted party and they just slap Jesus on it I'm like God words are so important the youth is being instructed keep the words the parents words and if you don't have physical parents that are raising you up the men and women who are godly who genuinely care for you keep their words (laughs) keep their counsel It will lead you. When you sleep, they will protect you. When you wake up, they will advise you. For their command is a lamp and their instruction a light. Their corrective discipline is the way of life. It will keep you from the immoral woman. Oh, wait a minute. What? Yeah. Living right will keep you away from perversion. Rather, it's the immoral woman, the loose woman, the woman who's just given herself away to anyone and everyone, or the man, the immoral man, who's doing the same way, just getting on anyone and everyone, just to satisfy their desires. Oh, but go the way that is right, and you're still, you will steer away from the immoral person. It will keep you from the immoral woman, from the smooth tongue of the promiscuous woman. Don't lust for her beauty. Don't let her coy glances seduce you. For a prostitute will bring you into poverty, but sleeping with another man's wife will cost you your wife, I mean your life. Wow. Adultery is running amok. How sad. How sad. It destroys, it breaks. I was once an adulterer. And for many years, I lived my life the way I wanted to live. And my daughter, who sits here today, paid the price. I'm not raised, being raised up with her dad and her mom all because 
I was filled with such lust. But praise be to God. God can restore and God can heal broken relationships. But see, the ways of sin is death. And not just death for you. It affects others. It affects others. <laughs> so we must stop playing games, you all. We must come to a place of reality, of truth, of Christ. Because the Bible says it's the truth that sets us free. We must become a grateful people. Like when God sets us free, when God heals us and restores us, when God invites us and calls us to his banquet, to his way of life, we ought to run and we ought to be grateful. So I want to end today with this little devotion about gratitude. A young boy was walking home from school late one day. It was cold. Snow was on the ground with more falling as he walked. It was dinner time and he needed to hurry home, but a light through the cracked glass of a little shack window caught his eye. Forgetting about dinner for the moment, he cautiously made his way to the window and what he saw stunned him. What that little boy saw was a scene of abject poverty. He saw a cot with a wooden frame and tattered blanket a small wooden table and one chair, and a small wooden bowl half filled with broth. On the wall was a picture of Jesus, and kneeling below the picture was a man in tattered clothes, with worn and wrinkled hands, and the years of a difficult life written all over his face. As the boy moved closer to the window, he could hear the words of that kneeling man, and he'd never forget those words. For amid all the apparent poverty, all he heard were the repeated words of that kneeling man, Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Upon first glance, it may seem that the man was walking in a desperate valley. And by the standards of our society, he was. But those standards are not what govern the days and abundant blessings of our lives. The man walked to the beat of his Creator. His list of things to be thankful for was not written on a piece of paper, but written instead all over the walls of a humble heart. He was thankful for a God who walked with him and never left him, and who would be with him throughout eternity. Did you put that on your list of things you're thankful for? A relationship with the God who will never leave you? If you didn't, I would encourage you to think about that relationship and make it a part of your life. A life with Jesus as your Savior and Lord. It is the most important relationship you will ever be blessed with. Now and forever. A grateful heart. A grateful heart. Above all, God, thank you for salvation. Thank you for your love and for your mercies that are new every morning. Thank you that even when I fail, God, you are there with me to pick me up, to remind me of who you are. See, you all, God is real, and God is good. And so as I close with this last song of worship, 
I want you to think upon that. And wherever you may be today, respond to how the Lord is calling you. Don't be that person who keeps neglecting or refusing the invitation. No, you're here for a reason. And God, yet again, is revealing himself to each of us. So I'm going to pray that we all respond as we should. And then I'll close this in prayer. the whole